our normal reaction to protect ourselves when growing up created these survival traits. So again, these are traits that we have that we realized in our lives as a result of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And they represent our false self, the person that we had to become in order to survive in our dysfunctional families. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on social media. And if you do, please be sure to tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 193, How to Know if You're an Adult Child, Part 1, The Laundry List. So I've mentioned in a couple of recent episodes that a huge part of my recovery has been coming out of denial. And I guess what? Have another episode coming out about that soon. It's going to be called Denial 4.0 because the journey continues. And that is really applicable to what I'm about to talk about today. So I'm going to read what is affectionately called the laundry list, the 14 traits of an adult child. And for those of you who are not Native American English speakers, a laundry list is just a term about an extensive list. It has nothing to do with actual laundry. These 14 traits that I'm about to read, I'm going to tell you what they are and what they mean to me personally. But when I first heard them at my very first meeting, I thought that only seven of them applied to me. And it turns out that 13 of them apply to me. And that is because of the denial. I didn't understand that many of these things were true for me. And so what I want to say before I get into reading about the traits is a couple of things. These are notes that I have in my work. They could be quotes from someone else. They could be quotes from literature. I'm really not sure. But one of the things that I wrote was our normal reaction to protect ourselves when growing up created these survival traits that I'm about to talk about. So again, these are traits that we have that we realized in our lives as a result of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And they represent our false self, the person that we had to become in order to survive in our dysfunctional families. So here we go. So trait number one is we became isolated and afraid of people and authority figures. So I did not see this one as being true for me until I did some work. And what I learned was that shame and abandonment are how my family controlled me. In other words, my authority figures 
got me to do the things they wanted me to do by shaming and abandoning me. And I want to reiterate that this is what my parents were taught to do. It's not because they're horrible human beings. I am not blaming them. I'm stating the facts. And actually, I forgot to say when I started, I want to say that though I am in ACA, I don't claim to represent ACA and I don't speak for ACA. All right, the next trait is two. We became approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. So I did not understand that this was true of me. I didn't identify as a people pleaser. But the more work I did, I realized, holy shit, I really am a people pleaser. And through that work, I learned that people pleasing is dishonest and manipulative. And now that I know where it came from, it takes a lot of the sting away. Instead of thinking, oh my God, I'm a horrible person because I lie and I manipulate. I'm like, oh my God, what happened to me that I needed to lie and manipulate to survive? The third trait is we are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. So I don't like angry people. I knew that was true. But the thing about the personal criticism that really resonated with me was that I took a lot of things personally. I didn't identify that initially, but as I got into the work, I realized that I really took a lot of stuff personally. And I'm reminded of a saying in recovery, if you're hysterical, it's historical. So if somebody as an adult says something to you as an adult and you completely fly off the handle or have like an internal emergency and you know that it's out of proportion to what's been said, chances are this is kind of nicking a wound you have from your past. Trait number four, we either became alcoholics, marry them or both, or find another compulsive personality such as a workaholic to fulfill our sick need for abandonment. This was absolutely true of me that most of the people that I dated were either like serious substance users or full-blown alcoholics, etc. So that was definitely true of me. Trait number five, we live life from the viewpoint of victims and are attracted by that weakness in our love and friendship relationships. Now, I knew that I attracted victims because I knew that I rescued them, but I didn't understand I was attracted by that weakness. And I absolutely did not know that I had a victim mentality. That is by far the biggest paradigm shift of my entire recovery was coming to see that I had that mentality and then shifting it. So I got to be with victims because they validated my own perspective as a victim. And by rescuing them, I got to avoid focusing on myself and avoid my feelings and being responsible for those. So this is a very shrewdly manipulative thing when you're attracted to victims. Number six, we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility and it's easier for us to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. This enables us not to look too closely at our own faults. This one, I absolutely recognize. That phrase, overdeveloped sense of responsibility, was one of the two things that really jumped out of me the first time that I heard this list. Number seven, we get guilt feelings when we stand up for ourselves instead of giving in to others. So I did not recognize this as being true for me. And it turns out that it really is true for me. 
I was scared of setting boundaries with people. I was scared of abandoning other people. So I caved a lot when there was conflict. Trait number eight, we became addicted to excitement. So when I first heard this, I thought it meant, oh, you like roller coasters or you're a daredevil. And that is so not me. But what I've come to understand is that it might be better said to say either we're addicted to chaos or we're addicted to fear. What it means is that we have grown up in fight or flight mode. And to us, that is normal. And so when we ever get a measure of peace, we do things to get back to that sense of fight or flight mode, because to us, that equals life. In ACA, we call that the internal drugstore. One of the ways in which that definitely showed up for me was I had a sense of urgency. I did not identify that until I was well into my recovery. Another thing I didn't identify was that I often had a lot of tension in my body in various places. I heard one person say that it was pressured living. I thought that was a really good expression. Hypervigilant is another term that people use. Trait number nine, we confuse love and pity and tend to love people we can pity and rescue. So I did not recognize this as true for me for quite some time. One of the things I've learned is that for many of us who are rescuers and fixers and grew up like that, to us, that's love. So when we pity someone, that means love to us. One of the things I realized over time when I did my relationship inventory that I wasn't necessarily in love with people. They weren't necessarily my soulmate, but they were the other half of my codependent pair. That's why the draw was so, so strong. Number 10 is we have stuffed our feelings from our traumatic childhoods and have lost the ability to feel or express our feelings because it hurts so much. Denial. So I did not identify with that one at all. And I think that is because I always had gigantic feelings. I was very expressive, et cetera. But I think what's happened in recovery is that my feelings have become right-sized. And number 11, we judge ourselves harshly and have a very low sense of self-esteem. That did not resonate with me. I've always had high self-esteem, but it wasn't until I got into recovery that I realized I actually did judge myself very harshly. Number 12, we are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to a relationship in order not to experience painful abandonment feelings, which we received from living with sick people who were never there emotionally for us. So all of that didn't resonate for me, but what did was we'll do anything to hold on to a relationship. I was like, bam, that is me. We don't want to abandon people or be abandoned by other people. So that means that we will hold on to a relationship even if we know that it is really unhealthy for us. And that was my MO. I stayed with people way too long. Number 13, alcoholism is a family disease, and we became para-alcoholics who took on the characteristics of that disease even though we did not pick up the drink. So para-alcoholism is kind of a weird term, but the idea is it's the distorted thinking and fear that comes along with alcoholism. So 
An untreated alcoholic could be physically sober, but what we usually call them as a dry drunk, they're a para-alcoholic. So they still have the distorted thinking and fear of alcoholics, and that is what is passed on through the family. And then number 14, the last trait, para-alcoholics are reactors rather than actors. So this made no sense to me. Now it is one of the most important changes that I have made. To me, this means we come out of victim mentality. Instead of reacting to life based on the triggers that are happening around us, we are proactive about life. I call it living on purpose. I didn't know that I wasn't doing that. So we react or reenact our childhoods. And as I said, for the last trait, para-alcoholism is the chronic fear and distorted thinking that our families transfer to us. This is where the codependence comes from. So those are the 14 traits of an adult child affectionately referred to as the laundry list. Next episode, I'm going to go over the other laundry list, which was developed sometime after the laundry list, which in some ways is the opposite of this one. And I was a few years in recovery before I ever even read the list. And I was like, oh my God, there are so many of them that I identify with. So look forward to hearing more because maybe you didn't identify with some of these traits or even many of them, but you just might identify with the ones on the other laundry list was recently reminded by a friend that when I first started recovery, I didn't feel lovable. I almost can't believe that I used to feel that way and that I kind of forgot something so profound because I truly love myself now. And I want that for everybody. If you don't love yourself, there's literally nothing that can make up for that. I created something exclusively for my private clients since many of them don't love themselves. And I've now opened up my private vault to share it with up to 10 people individually. It's called the Self Love Sprint. You'll grow to love yourself and truly feel worthy. So you can stop saying yes when you really want to say no. Stop neglecting yourself and putting everyone else first. Stop saying all kinds of nasty shit to yourself. That is not what people who love themselves and feel deserving do. You'll stop being afraid that others will think that you're selfish for taking time to care for yourself. This is also for you if you don't really know who you are because you've always been such a fucking chameleon. Go to higherpowercc.com slash lovesprint Remember, I'm only offering 10 of these, so don't wait. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, 
which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.